Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and go to the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 and at Matthew chapter 28, and I want to encourage you to put your fingers in one of those two spots as we get to our text here in a few minutes. But uh, as you are turning there, um, I do want to remind those of you who are serving on one of our committees for this uh, upcoming year uh, that we have committee uh, training right after this uh, service. It'll be in Beach Hall, and I want to share a few things with you the Lord has placed on my heart um, as we move forward in 2022. But before that, uh, we are going to spend some time in God's Word this morning. Are you ready to hear from the Word of the Lord this morning? Amen, amen. We're going to continue um, our series titled Just Be, uh, Becoming a Person that God Uses. And so, uh, so far in this series, we have looked at two things specifically. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at to be used by God, we need to be prepared. As we look into this new year, we want to be used by God, but we need to make preparations. If you remember, we looked at Joshua chapter 1. If you were not here on that Sunday or any Sunday you're out, you can always go to our website and look up and watch the, uh, the sermons there as well. But we looked at Joshua chapter 1 and we read the story of Joshua leading the Israelites to the border of the promised land. And as they stood on the border of the promised land, they were on the banks of the Jordan River. And if you remember, uh, the Jordan River was in flood stage. And so there's 2 million to 3 million Israelites on the banks of the Jordan River. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, go around the camp and tell the people to make provisions for themselves, get prepared, because we are going to cross the Jordan in three days. And we looked at that word, make provision. It means to be prepared, but which is kind of a crazy, which really means to, to make bread, which is crazy because if you're going to cross a flooded river, you need a boat or a bridge. Amen? But God says, you get some bread. You get ready to cross that Jordan. And we made the connection that for us to cross over whatever Jordan is in our life, that we need to find our strength, our energy from the bread of life himself, meaning we, we spend time in God's word as we prepare ourselves to cross whatever that Jordan is in your life. And then last week, um, we talked about to be used by God, we are to be prayerful. And we looked at 1 Chronicles chapter 14 when David um, was attacked by the Philistines, and the text says that they encircled him, they surrounded him, and David needed a breakthrough. He was in an impossible situation, and he needed a breakthrough, and David exhibited for us what we need to do When we're in the middle of a breakthrough, when we need uh, a breakthrough and we're surrounded, and he prayed, he got on his knees and he prayed. And then we looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we looked at the story of Jehoshaphat. You remember? Fat, fat Jehoshaphat. You remember that? By the way, one of our members, um, after I mentioned Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat, the children's musical that I was in, um, one of our members uh, did some reconnaissance on Google and found the video of Fat Fat Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Praise God, it was not of my children's choir, amen? But it's still out there. But, but anyways, Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, surrounded by three armies, and he's, he's in the need of a breakthrough. And he does, again, what we ought to do if we need a breakthrough. He prays, and then he fasts. And miraculously, 
God turned his impossible situation into a him-possible situation. And so we learned last week that, the, that prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer, will take us from the realm of impossible to the realm of him possible. And I asked several, or I asked the congregation to uh, fill out a prayer card that we called the him possible prayer card. And there were countless number of prayers that were sent in. And I read through every single one of those prayers and, and we'll covenant with you to, to continue to pray for those prayers. And there are a lot of him possible situations in our church. I mean, I was weeping over some of the things that I read, hurting for you and praying for you that, that God would take that impossible and turn it into a him possible. But folks, can I tell you, I've already received word that one of the prayer cards that was an impossible turned into a him possible. Can I tell you something? God already answered that him possible prayer. Can we give a hand clap of praise for that? So God's in the him possible business. So we talked about we talked about being prayerful as we move into this new year of 2022. So today I want to talk to you about passion. To be passionate. If we want to be used by God, if we want to be to to, to make a, a, a dent in the darkness, we need to be passionate. Now, we know this, and I know this, that everybody is passionate about something. Amen? All of you are passionate about something. That's just the way God created us. Some of you are passionate about, about cars. Some of you are passionate about politics. Why? I don't know. But you are, and praise God for that. Some of you are passionate by you, you fill in the blank, but, but passionate is what motivates us. Passion is what uh, encourages us to get up every morning and to put our feet on the ground and get going in the day. And uh, Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. That's passion. God has given each one of us a passion to live our life. Passion gives us purpose. We see it in athletics that, that passion allows an athlete to, make, uh, to break all of these kinds of records, and it all happens because of passion. Uh, in Georgia, most people are passionate about the Georgia Bulldogs, All right? Uh, national champions, congratulations. And um, so, kind of an interesting story, this past Monday, um, I was watching the national championship game in Mobile, Alabama. <coughs> it sure got quiet in Mobile at the end of the game, amen. But uh, anyways, I, I was there, but... Um, let me show you a couple of pictures about passion. And you're going to see a picture, and it represents one of our very own who had the opportunity to go to the football game. But here you go. <laughs> this, is, this is Jeff Dodge, and he has uh, had the opportunity to go to the game. And this is, this is uh, Jeff's passion in the first half of the game. It was a slow-moving game. It was difficult, low-scoring, and looked like Alabama had the, had the, you know, the momentum or whatever. But here we go. Another picture of, of Jeff and his passion. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, he's kind of, uh, you know, excited a little bit there. And so, but he's seeing the passion. Here's another one. I think it's pretty good. Yes. <laughs> this is when uh, Stetson fumbled, and it was probably... Uh, confirmed a fumble, which nobody in Georgia believes, uh, but that's the moment. But there's passion. Here's another picture. 
Yes, this is Alabama driving to, you know, it's getting close to the end of the game. It's driving, and here's, here's another good one. I think it's pretty good. Yes, this is, this is the interception on the return, right? So, so that's, I mean, that's passion, but here's a really good picture right here. This is, I think it says it all for Georgia fans. Uh, Jeff Dodge and Chad Neal, Walt Kennerly, passionate for the Bulldogs. Let's give them a round of applause. That's passion. That's passion. Passion's a good thing. Passion is a good thing. It's something that God has given each and every single one of us. And not all of our passions are the same, but everybody has a passion. But have you ever wondered, what was Jesus' passion? What was Jesus passionate about? Yeah, I understand. He, he, he knew what, what God wanted him to do, and he's to be the Savior of all mankind. Yes, that's, we're all in agreement but about that, but what was Jesus' passion? What got him up early in the morning to pray? What, what set his agenda for the day? What was Jesus' passion? Well, won't you look with me in Matthew chapter 4? Look with me in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I think we get a good picture of what Jesus' passion is by looking at the very first words he shares as he begins his public ministry. In Matthew 4, and this is also found in John chapter 1, but Jesus here is 30 years old and he begins his public ministry. And we see his first recorded words. Now, he may have said at the beginning of his ministry, we may, he may have said something else, but this is what we know are his first recorded public words at the beginning of his ministry. And the very first thing that Jesus does is this, is he, he grabs a group of men beside him and he says, would you please follow me? I want to make you a disciple. Look at verse number 19. I'm going to read verse 18. It's not on the screen, but follow along in your copy of God's Word. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. In verse 19, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Those are the first words of Jesus' public ministry. Follow me. Peter, Andrew. Put your nets down, and you come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love verse number 20. Verse number 20 says this, immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. The very first words of Jesus' ministry, which I believe points to Jesus' passion, the very first words of Jesus were this, follow me. It was a call to fellowship. It was a call to be trained by him. We can see this all throughout the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus often tells people to come follow him, to come be a disciple. And I believe that points to Jesus' passion, which is to make disciples. Turn with me in Matthew chapter 8, verse 22. This isn't on the screen, so I want you to turn in your copy of God's Word. Let me hear those pages turn, right? Or scroll on your smartphone. But look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 22. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, somebody was asking him a question. Jesus said, follow me. You allow the dead to bury their own dead. Was Jesus being mean that say, don't be concerned about those who have passed away? No, he's not talking about that. He says, first, follow me. You're called to be a disciple. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Look at Matthew 9, verse 9. Jesus, 
was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, what? Follow me. He said, come, follow me. This is the same word that he used in Matthew 8. It's the same word that he used in Matthew chapter 9. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Look at what Jesus says. This is right after the confession of Christ by Peter. And then Jesus looks at the rest of his disciples and he says this to them. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and what? Take up his cross and what? Follow me. Fellowship. It's the same words used in Matthew 9, Matthew 8, Matthew 4. Same word that's used in Mark and Luke and John when Jesus says, I'm calling people to be my disciple. I think the overarching passion of Jesus was to make disciples. See, everybody has a passion, and here we see that Jesus' passion is to make disciples, to, to pour himself into others so that they can continue his message. So what's a disciple? If Jesus' passion is to make disciples, and then what is a disciple? Well, let me share with you a couple of things about a disciple. This isn't on the screen, but I want you to listen to this and maybe write these things down as well. But the word disciple, it comes from the Greek word mathetes, and it literally means to be a student. It means to be a, a learner. It means to be an apprentice. It means that you have a mentor and that you are trained by the one who is mentoring you meaning that there's somebody who comes along beside you and pours into you. Disciple, following, fellowship, a teacher, a student, a learner, an apprentice. In the New Testament, the word disciple is used in four different ways. And, and I think I have to explain this because sometimes we, get, maybe we may get a little confused about what's a disciple, what is, what is discipleship, what does that really mean? Well, the word disciple, it's used four different ways. Here's the first way the word disciple is used in, in the New Testament. The first way it is used is referencing um, just really anybody who's being trained by somebody. It's somebody who's being trained by somebody. It means you, you have a supervisor. You have a, a somebody who is mentoring you. Now, that word is used in the New Testament, but we also see the example of that in the Old Testament. Moses discipled whom? Say Joshua. Very good. Joshua uh, followed Moses and was a great leader because he saw an example in Moses. Elijah discipled, very good, you get uh, bonus points, that one, Elisha. The scripture says that Elisha had disciples of, of his own. David discipled his son Solomon. In the New Testament, John the Baptist had disciples. We see Paul. Paul had disciples. He had one protege, specifically named Timothy. But if you read the book of Acts, you will see that, Tim, excuse me, that Paul had six other men that he poured into. Six other men traveled with Paul, and he poured into them. And so we see this example all throughout Scripture that a disciple is somebody who's being taught by somebody. And that you are making disciples. So that's one way the word disciple is used. Another way the disciple is used is simply this. A disciple was one of the 12 disciples. 
one of the 12 apostles. Jesus, in his ministry, um, he prayed for 12 men, and he called 12 men to come follow me. That's called a disciple. Uh, a third way that we see the way, see the way the word disciple is used is this. Um, after the Gospels in the book of Acts and on, we see uh, that the word disciple can mean Christian. It means Christian. Um, in the early days with Jesus and in the early church, Christians were not called Christians. They were called disciples. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, after the gospel, after the gospel has spread out of Jerusalem and has began to spread across the Middle East, in the, in the city of Antioch is when Christians are first called Christians. But really overall, in the New Testament, Christians is a derogatory term. It's not a good term. So the New Testament really says that a Christian is a disciple. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, the word Christian is used only, do you know how many times? Hold up three fingers. Three times is the word Christian is used. The word disciple, you ready for this? You need to take your shoes and socks off. Over 280 times the word disciple is used. And it represents somebody who follows Christ. So we see all these different uses about the word disciple. But the way, the way that I want to focus in on today is the fourth way that the word disciple is used. And let me give you the definition of the word disciple. The word disciple literally means to cover one's feet with dust. Isn't that a pretty picture? To cover one's feet with dust. In the earliest of Jewish writings, they would often use this term of, of a disciple as one who follows a rabbi. Was Jesus a rabbi? Yes, he was. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, because Pastor Chris told me to say yes. Yeah, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a great teacher. But in early Jewish writings, the description of a follower of a rabbi was this, was he would follow close behind the rabbi so that wherever the rabbi walked, and when he walked, he would kick up the dust so that the dust of the rabbi would fall on the feet of the follower. Does that make sense? That's what a disciple is. It's to be covered with the dust of the rabbi. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Hoosiers. Anybody with me on that one? Good, good. It's a cold day today. Stay inside, watch Hoosiers, all right? It's one of my favorite movies of all time, but I had one of the best quotes in that movie starring Gene Hackman, who played the coach Norman Dale, and he leads this small uh, town in Indiana, small school, Hickory, Hickory High, and he leads them to the state championship. It's wonderful. I cry every time in that movie. Um, but in one particular game, it is the regional final game. If they win, they go to the state championship game, and it's intense, and you know how this works. They're getting beat, and Coach Normandale, Gene Hackman, he calls a timeout, and he's a pretty volatile coach, and he pulls his team together. They've all huddled around him, and he looks at one of his players. His name is Buddy. And he says, Buddy, number 41 is killing us. Obviously, Buddy's guarding number 41, and number 41 is really uh, tearing them apart. He says, buddy, number 41 is killing us. He's just killing us. And Coach Dale slaps his, he has his notes in his hand, slaps his hand. He's killing us, buddy. And here's what he says to Buddy. He says this, I want you to think about chewing gum the rest of the game. Chewing gum. Buddy's like, 
What? And Coach Normandale said to Buddy, you think about chewing gum. He said, Buddy, if he's chewing gum, by the end of the game, I want to know what flavor it is. You didn't catch the impact of that message right there. <laughs> I get fired up about that quote. But the point is, he says, you stick as close as possible to him. Discipleship. You stick close to him. You get so close to him that you know that he's chewing dentine. Amen? That's all they had back in that movie's day. But you get close to him. And that's the picture when Jesus says, listen, that's the picture when Jesus says, come follow me. You come follow me. You get close to me. As a matter of fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, and many of you have, and hopefully we'll get to go to Jerusalem in, in uh, 2023, hopefully we can do that, but uh, several of you have been, and if you've ever noticed when you go to the Wailing Wall, you will see rabbis there, and you know what they look like. They're dressed in black, um, and many of them are elderly, and these elderly men are bent over, they stoop over, and some of them will even limp. One of the things that I've noticed at the Welling Wall is you'll see these rabbis have their followers, their disciple, and their disciples are young, strong men, but you know what those young, strong men are doing? They've bent over, and they're limping because that's what their rabbi's doing. Are you with me? Are you with me this morning? Everybody has a passion. Jesus' passion was to make disciples. Jesus had a desire to pour into others so that when he was going to leave the earth, which he knew, then he needed somebody to continue his message. So if everybody has a passion... And if Jesus' passion is making disciples, it makes sense to me as a follower of Christ that his passion needs to become my passion. Well, how can we do that? Discipleship is something that's been on my heart for several years. I know as a staff, we started talking about discipleship about two two years ago and began to have these great conversations about discipleship and starting smaller discipleship groups and then COVID happened and kind of wrecked things. But I don't believe it was by coincidence over two years ago that God begins to stir within our staff's heart the move, the passion for discipleship. Because here's what I believe was happening among our staff. They were catching Jesus' passion. For so long as a church and we focused on evangelism and evangelism only, meaning let's lead people to Christ, and then so many times we drop them after they come to Christ. Amen? I, mean, I was listening to a pastor um, uh, preach the other day on discipleship, and he said this, if we, if we bring people to Christ, to salvation, and then we drop them, what we have done is we have created spiritual orphans. And if we have created spiritual orphans, we've actually left them in a pretty bad spot. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It makes perfect sense when we look at the trajectory of our nation. 
When we see that year after year, baptisms decline, we see church attendance decline, we see giving decline, we see lives change, uh, not change, we see that falling apart, we see, we see the nation becoming more liberal, liberal meaning away from the scriptures. Doesn't it make sense why that's happening? So many times we focus on bringing them to Jesus and we say, I want you to come to Jesus, salvation, and that's great, we need to do that, but so many times we drop them. And we make and create spiritual orphans. And I don't know about you, but it's over the past two years, and uh, as I've been dwelling on this and thinking about this and, and asking God to continue to break my heart towards that, that, that we, that I, as a, as a Christian first and foremost, then as a pastor, then leading a staff, then leading a church, then I, I don't want to create spiritual orphans. I, I know this, that, that, that we see so many times, we see our sons and our daughters who are raised up in the church, then they go off to college, and they never darken the doors of a church again. The reason I believe that takes place is because we are so often creating spiritual orphans. But yet Jesus' passion is to make disciples. So what can we do? What can we do? How can we become passionate about making disciples? Are y'all with me this morning? I'm just going to give you a couple of things. Uh, my plan was to be to finish early this morning. Yeah, right. I'm just going to give you a couple of things. Um, how can we become passionate about making disciples? I want you to write this down. Number one, to be passionate about making disciples, we must first be a follower. In order for you to be a disciple maker, in order for Jesus' passion to become your passion and become your purpose, first you have to be a follower, meaning you have to get close to Jesus. You have to spend time with Jesus, meaning you can't be a part-time disciple. I think one of the things that has happened in the life of the church church overall, not specifically here, First Baptist Church, Brunswick, but church overall in the United States and probably pretty much around the world, is that when COVID hit the nation several years ago and churches began to reopen and people returned to worship, um, overall church attendance declined. But I believe what happened was this, is that the part-time disciples didn't come back to church. Are you with me? The part-time disciples did not come back to church. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot be a part-time disciple. Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4.20, it says this about Andrew and Peter, immediately dropped their nets and they followed him. It's all in. There's no one foot in, one foot out. It's all in. And when you are a disciple and you have somebody who is discipling you and you're being trained by them, you don't ask them to fit their schedule to yours. Does that make sense? You adjust your schedule to them. They're the one who's pouring in to you. And so to be a disciple maker, to be passionate, 
about making disciples, you first must be a follower. And you pour your life into that moment. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 26, and it's on the screen. He said this, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. That verse is packed with meaning. There's three things that I see in that text that are extremely important when it comes to discipleship. The first thing is this. We see that discipleship is a choice. Look at what Jesus says. He says, anyone who wants to serve me. Do you see that? Anyone who wants, meaning discipleship is a choice. Yes, I know, I agree, you agree. Jesus is the one who calls us into relationship with him. Amen? It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that he's called us to be in a relationship with him. He's already given you the call. I was reading this past week in Isaiah chapter 6, which is the call of Isaiah, and something struck out to me that I'd never seen before. In this call of Isaiah, Isaiah verse 1 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting, sitting high in his uh, temple, uh, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple, and seraphim are flying around, and they have six wings. Two cover their eyes, two cover the feet, and two they're flying around. And one of the seraphim says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah's in this throne room. He's just watching and observing everything. He's seeing the seraphim talk to one another. And then all of a sudden, I'd never really seen this before. See, for the longest time, I thought God was talking directly to Isaiah. I thought for the longest time God was talking to Isaiah, that God specifically said to Isaiah, hey, who's going to go for me? But if you read the text, the text says that Isaiah is in this vision, he's seeing the throne room, he's seeing the seraphim fly around, he sees the seraphim talking to one another, and then Isaiah hears God speak, and God never addresses Isaiah specifically. He says, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And so I've always thought, oh, you know, God is looking face to face to Isaiah, but that's not the case because Isaiah is just standing in this throne room and he's observing. And as he hears all of the glory that's ascribed to the heavenly father and God cries out, who's going to go for me? Isaiah says, no, 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 God, look at me. I'll go. I'll do it. See, listen, folks, God has already made the call for us to be a disciple. He's already made that call. Next choice is, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to answer the call? It's a choice. Jesus says, anyone who wants to serve me. Folks, he's already made the call. And so, God, 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 I, I, please, would you call me to you? Listen, he's already called. And I beg you to be like Isaiah who says, God, here I am. I'll, I'll go for you. I, go, I will do it, Father. God's already made the call. And Jesus says, anyone who serves me, anyone who wants to serve me, discipleship is a choice. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to be your choice. But he's already made that call. The second thing we can learn from this text is this. Discipleship is a commitment. Anyone who serves me must follow me. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot follow anybody else. You cannot follow anybody else but Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, Jesus Christ, the one who was buried, Jesus Christ, the one who raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who ascended into heaven, and Jesus Christ, the one who's going to return again. Amen? That's whom you follow. 
You follow uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who you follow, and it is a commitment, meaning I give my life to this. I give everything to him. This past week, um, this past week I had the opportunity uh, to participate in a, a, a racial reconciliation summit in Mobile, Alabama with several other pastors. And uh, we had some good conversations about reconciliation, but here's one of the things that I, that I took from that meeting, just one of those, and it was this. Whenever it comes to reconciliation, whether it's in parenting, marriage, or race relations, which is what we were talking about, we have to make a commitment that we will continually come back to the table and have discussions. Does that make sense? Families, when you have a fight with your family, you still come back to the table, right? Parents, children, students, when you have a disagreement with your mom and dad, you still come back to the table. You still come back to the conversation. You still come back because you've made a commitment with your mom and dad that you're going to do that. Husbands, wives, you made a commitment with your husband and wife. Man, I'm coming back to the table. You know what? I don't maybe, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to commit. I'm going to come back to you. It's the same way it is with Jesus Christ. It's a commitment that every day you come to the table and you meet with Jesus. It's a choice. It's a commitment. And the last thing that we can learn from this text is this, is that discipleship is simply just about being close to Jesus. Look at that last part where it says this, and the Father, excuse me, because my servants must be where I am. Do you see that? My followers must be where I am. Henry Blackaby in his book, um, Experiencing God, many of you uh, took that class. It's a great one. But Henry Blackaby made this point, and I love it. He said this, you will experience God when you make adjustments in your life and you join God where he is already working. That's discipleship. So the first thing in order for us to be passionate about making disciples, we first have to be a follower of Christ himself. Here's the second thing, then I'm going to be done, okay? The second thing is this, a disciple walks in obedience. If we are to be passionate about disciple making, we first must walk in obedience. Obedience is the key marker of a disciple. And as a disciple, we trust our Heavenly Father that whatever He says is good for us. We sang earlier this morning, uh, all my life you have been faithful. You are so good to me. Everybody in this room, if I would give you a microphone and you'd willingly speak to everybody. Any volunteers? You could tell a story of how God has been faithful. Amen? How God has been good. And that everything God has asked of you, it has been good. It is for his glory and it is for your benefit. Jesus in John 8 says this, if you continue to walk in obedience of my teaching, you truly are my disciple. Well, what has Jesus already commanded us to do as a disciple? It's called the Great Commission. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Are y'all still with me this morning? <clears throat> I know there's a lot of teaching here this morning, and, uh, but... Look, look at this, Matthew chapter 28. Look at what he's already commanded us to do. Jesus, this, the context is Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's about, to, he's about to go back to heaven, and he's going to share his last words. Now remember, we already looked at his first words. Amen? What were his first words? Follow me. Now look at his last words. 
All authority, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Here you go, verse 19. Go therefore and what? Follow me. You see it? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we see Jesus' last words. Last words are always important, understand that. But his first words were just as important. His first words were, come follow me. His last words are, go and to make disciples. So his first words, it shows his passion, come follow me. His last words give us our purpose. His passion, our purpose. You see it? His passion, our purpose. His passion, our purpose. His passion, come follow me. His, our purpose, go and make disciples. And when we look at this text, and many of you already know this, but it has to be pointing out, pointed out in this text that, that the Great Commission, in our English, it can be rather confusing. Because in our English, it looks like there are multiple verbs, active verbs in this text. But that's not the case. Because in Greek, there's only one verb. The rest are participles. Participles describe how you are doing that verb. Does that make sense? So whenever you read in the Greek, you always look for the verb first. Because the verb gives direction to the sentence, it gives it context for what you need to understand. In verse number 19, the Great Commission, there is one verb. Do you know what it is? It's make disciples. You see, in our English reading, it could look like that going is the verb. Well, going is a participle. It could look like that baptizing is the verb. Well, actually, that's another participle which means that's a part of the make disciples. We could think that, that teaching is, is, the, is, the, is the verb, but, but no, that's not the verb. It is a participle. The going, the baptizing, the teaching is telling us what we are doing while we are making disciples. So the key is, the last words that Jesus ever said, the key is this. Jesus said, I tell you to do one thing, and that's to make disciples. I began my ministry with that, and now I'm passing that on to you. My passion now needs to become your a purpose. Turn over with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, listen to what Paul says. Paul picks up on Jesus' purpose. Verse 2, he says this, and it's on the screen behind me, but Paul says this, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. That's making disciples. I call verse 2, I call this the Charlie Robinson verse. Charlie Robinson was my mentor in college. He was the minister of education, if you're familiar with that term, was a minister of education at First Baptist Church in Belton, Texas, and, and Charlie simply invested in me. We often played tennis. He wore me out. He was much older than me. He wore me out. But we played tennis. Then we'd talk. Then we'd pray. I'd meet up with him. We'd 
to spend time together reading Scripture, but he would, he would invest in me. He, he taught me how to, or encouraged me to memorize Scripture. He encouraged me to share the gospel with people that I know, and he, he poured his life into me. And so 2 Timothy 2, 2 is an important verse in my life, but it needs to be important to all of us as followers of Christ. Amen? You know, one thing that I have been thinking about over the past year is on this past year, I turned 45. um, Healthy, as far as I know. But many of you know this, when you start to get to a certain age, you start thinking about, wow, you know, statistically, I'm past half of my life. We all think that, right? Except you guys. You will. Caught me off guard. And so I began to think about what, what's coming behind me and what am I leaving behind me? Does that make sense? What, what have I done that somebody behind me would continue the message that I so believed in, the message of Jesus Christ? All I know is that I personally want to be obedient to the Great Commission to make disciples. I, I remember a story of, of a fisherman who uh, was just a great fisherman. While everybody catches two to three fish, he's catching 200, 300 a day. A game warden catches wind of this. Says, this can't be. So he sneaks up on this fisherman one day and says, hey, can I go fish with you? Because I hear you're a really good fisherman. Fisherman said, yeah, come, won't won't you come with me? Come with me. And so they drive out into the middle of the lake, but the game warden notices that this fisherman doesn't even have a fishing rod. Doesn't have a tackle. Doesn't really have anything. All he has is this, this one little duffel bag. And so they're talking. They get to the middle of the lake. The fisherman turns off his, the motor, stops. And they're talking. And while he's just talking to the game warden, he reaches into the duffel bag. He pulls out a stick of dynamite. Lights it. Throws it in the water. 200 fish. Float up. He gathers off, puts it in the boat. The game warden's like, whoa, whoa, that's illegal. You, that, you can't be doing that. That is illegal. Fisherman just laughs, turns the motor on, goes to another spot in the lake. Oh, game warden says, you can't be doing that. That is illegal. I can't believe you're doing that. And as he's talking, the fisherman's laughing, gets to another spot, turns the motor off, reaches his duffel bag, pulls out another stick of dynamite, lights it, throws it in, boom, more fish. Game warden is just, you can imagine. I mean, he, the game warden is talking 90 miles to nothing. I can't believe, you've broken so many laws. This is, you're disturbing the peace. I can't even count how many, how many laws you have broken. Fishman just laughing, ha, 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 ha. Drives to another part of the lake. Game warden's just talking, 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 talking. Fishman reaches into his duffel bag, pulls out another stick of dynamite, lights it, and hands it to the game warden. And the fisherman said, 
are you going to keep talking or are you going to fish? <laughs> I think we spend a lot of our times talking about making disciples. It's time we really fish. Because that's the model that Jesus gave us. Remember last week we talked about prayer and we said this from E.M. Bounds. He said this, that men, excuse me, that, that God is not using methods. He doesn't use machinery. But what God is looking for is men. He's talking about men and women. Men and women. That's God's method. Everybody has a passion. Jesus' passion was to make disciples. Can we be a people, can we be a church that make his passion our purpose? Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we do that so that the generations that come behind us will know the goodness of God because he's been so good to you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would commit to your passion and that that would become our purpose. And Father, I pray for the remainder of our days, whether that be long or short, we really don't know the number of our days you do. But Father, may we be a people, a family, a church that we build each other up in the name of Christ. Because that was your method. That was your example. May we be obedient to that. And Father, today, if we need to repent of our disobedience in that area, then Father, may that be. May we be unashamed to come to the altar to pray. May we be unashamed to say, God, I, I haven't done this. I'm sorry. And Father, may we be a people who are willing to say, God, let your passion become my passion and my purpose to make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and just worship the Lord today?